This is Jason Albert, and welcome to Nordic Nation from Faster Skeeter. In this episode, we caught up with head SMS T2 coach Pat O'Brien on August 15th before the team headed down under for an on-snow camp in New Zealand. O'Brien just turned 30 years old this summer, but helps lead a group of go-getter elite athletes that have already proven themselves on the World Cup, as well as developing skiers who aspire to that level of competition. We start the interview a few moments after O'Brien found a solid Wi-Fi connection wandering around in the dark on the Stratton Mountain School campus, and he clarifies who might be the nuts and bolts of the SMS operation. But you're like, um, yeah, it's like the nuts and bolts of the operation, right? So without you... I would say that Sferi is the nuts and bolts of the operation. I get the great pleasure of doing the day-to-day and making sure that the training sessions are supported, that, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of two people that, that get to uh, co-steer the ship. And Sferi, as the the kind of soul of the operation and the one who started the team. I always defer anything that I have a question on or concern. I'm always going to him um, because he's just been doing it so long. And uh, I, he, you know, anyone, anyone who knows him well knows that he always sees the forest through the trees and it's easy to get kind of caught up in the day to day or the, you know, the minute details. And it's good to be able to consult with someone and just step back and say, Hey, why are you even stressing this? This isn't important, you know? Yeah, I don't know him, and I know Sophie just a little bit. They both seem pretty chill. <laughs> they are very chill. Um, in fact, Sferi has an atmosphere that, that comes off as almost, you know, like he doesn't necessarily really care. And that's totally not the case. Um, but, but he kind of, he makes, he does a good job making sure that he's, doing a good job with the big things and he doesn't worry about the little things and he's incredibly organized um and does that all quietly behind the scenes so everything runs smooth you know it's like it's like when you're driving when you're driving a fast car you don't know how fast you're going down the highway right but when you're when you're driving a real you know pos (laughs) and it's not functioning well you know when you're pushing it faster than you should gotcha Okay, so let's take a step back. How how old are you? And yeah, how old are you? No, oh, that's a good question. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, you look pretty young, but I know you're like got to be what thirty one. It's my guess. Yeah. So I just I just had my thirtieth birthday uh, in January. Um, okay. So now I'm officially a master skier, I guess. Um, yeah. You gonna go kill it this year? <laughs> you know, I don't think you're gonna likely see me at Master Nationals. Um, I'm trying to think the last ski race I did actually was last, last year. I did the Craftsbury marathon, um, where a bunch of us old fogies, uh, put on our old race suits, tried to zip them up the best that we could and went out yeah. and, and, and hurt ourselves for a long time. Uh, and, how did you do? Did you do all right? I, I did. Okay. I, you know, it was, it was actually during a super tour weekend and, uh, me doing a 50 K race in the middle of trying to support uh, super tour racing was just a terrible idea. And, and Andrew Johnson and, uh, Nils Coons really, really put the hurt on me the last 8k. I, I hadn't felt that way in a long time. So the wheels really came off, but, uh, 
Good for yeah, you, though, I, for doing that. Every, every once in a while, I will put a suit on just to kind of remember. What is your official title? That's a good question. So I am the head coach of the SMS Elite team, also known as the SMS T2 team. Um, okay, so it still is like that's appropriate as well, the T2 yep. thing, the SMS yep, T2? Yep, we, are, we okay. are the SMS T2 team. Uh, we The year before the Olympics, we rebranded. T2 was no longer on board with support. And uh, last year, we were the SMS T2 team. Okay. They came back on for the Olympics. Okay, and so... Way down in my questions had something to do with what's the working, and not like is it a good working relationship with Sveri, but like, and you kind of uh, elaborated a bit, but like, what is the relationship? Because I just sort of was like, okay, he's kind of like the headmaster figure, but that's clearly not the case. He's like heavily involved with what all of you are doing on the ground from a day-to-day basis, it sounds like. Uh, yeah, yes and no. So, so I am the, I am the head coach for the SMS elite team. So Sveri is the program director at the Stratton Mountain School. So we base our elite team out of the Stratton Mountain School and the mountain itself. The, the, the campus is located right on Stratton Mountain. So we, you know, have access to the fantastic facilities here, the gym. Uh, they have an air awareness center. I'm actually standing outside it right now with a with a you know trampoline and foam pit. Um, the athletes can can come in when school's in session and have meals and interact with the junior team. During the summer, we train. Uh, we try to train four or five sessions in a week with the Stratton Mountain School junior team. But Sveri's involvement is as, you know, he his title at the Stratton Mountain School is program director. And he is the, also the program director for our elite team. But he was the one who now, six years ago, kind of came to the headmaster at the Stratton Mountain School proposing this idea of, hey, we have some of the top skiers in the country, you know, Andy Newell, uh, who have come through the school and are already training in the area, already training with our juniors. How about we start an elite team and the coach's salary will be helped offset by the school and that coach can be responsible for getting postgraduate athletes and coordinating their training between this elite team and the juniors. And let's kind of have this idea of cradle to grave where where we can have support for kids in the Bill Coke area, you know, Bill Coke Youth League in the surrounding areas come through, train with juniors a few days a week. The juniors can then, you know, be, be interacting with kids that are coming back from college during the summer. So we're really creating this training group. And it's everywhere from these 8 to 10-year-old Devo kids. That's their first time on roller skis where we're helping them with parking lot agility all the way up to, you know, the top, top athletes. And amazingly, it all worked. You know, the, the, the things that line up to kind of launch, launch an elite team, it's, it's, it's difficult. There's lots of programs that have tried um, and many have done it successfully, but you kind of need this, this wave of critical mass. And the timing was, the timing was great because you already had an Andy Newell who had been, 
you know, the ambassador to the school for a long time who was already in the Stratton area training. You have Sophie just finishing up her college career at Dartmouth along with a number of other athletes that had come through the program. You had a Skylar Davis who had just finished up a postgraduate year and had been named the D team. So, you, so suddenly you're, and, and then obviously with the hiring of Gus Kading, leaving CXC and Jesse coming to the program, suddenly you have a pretty, pretty big roster of some big names your, your very first year. And it takes a little bit of that, you know, uh, critical mass to get things rolling. Um, but this is something that was a long time in the making. It was just very, and again, he might have a better answer for you on this, but making sure that the timing's right. So when you launch it, that it takes, it takes off. Um, so, you know, we are a team that is supported by the local community. I talk about the Stratton Mountain School. They've been hugely beneficial in getting the team up and running. Um, but it's really kind of this idea of cradle to grave, where these kids that are in the Stratton, Peru, Langrove, Londonderry area, or even the greater Southern Vermont area, can come out and on Tuesday morning, they can do level three ski walking behind Jesse Diggins or Sophie Caldwell or Simi Hamilton. Um, so they see, they see there's this, there's this pathway, there's this avenue. I'm seeing them in training. If I, if I like skiing, if it's something that's interesting to me, I can go to the school. You know, I can go, I can go get into a good college, ski collegiately. And if I really feel like I'm ready to make that commitment, that there's a program that's available for them afterwards if they if they demonstrate that they have what it takes to potentially make it and make that jump and i think the deep recesses of my brain here that you are you from putney i'm from putney yep so kind of the you know everyone talks about the the you know skiing revolution that happened there back in the day with with johnny caldwell you know and you have bill coke and my uncle Bob Gray and, you know, Tim Caldwell and, you know, all those, all those guys that based their training out of the Putney area, whether they were from Putney or not, you know, it was kind of the hotbed of skiing, um, at least in the East at that time. And so the, the goal here is we have a number of strong clubs now in the U S. Um, but, but how can we kind of, kind of take lessons from the past and make training something that's cool and that's it's something that we want to get people together and collaborate and learn from so that we're all getting better. How did you get into coaching? Well, sorry, Jason, I lost you for a second. You're, you were basically asking how I kind of transitioned into coaching. Yeah, like what? Yeah, exactly. Like yep. I think you were retiring yep. from racing, but I'm not 100% positive. Yep, yep. So I, I went to, you know, I grew up in Putney. Uh, I went to the Putney school for two years. And then my junior and senior year, I decided that I wanted to commit more fully to skiing. Uh, and so I came to Stratton and so I graduated Stratton in 2006 and, uh, applied early decision to Dartmouth and, uh, skied all four years there. And then after Dartmouth, I graduated in 2010, I skied for four years competitively, uh, at the Craftsbury Green Racing Project up in Northern Vermont. And, uh, I was, you know, I, I was a good skier. I was never the best in my my age group. I never made world juniors. I was always close. I never made U 23s. I was always close. Uh, I made some, I made, uh, Quebec and Canmore world cup on nation group spot and got to, got to experience some world cup racing there. 
Um, so, you know, I was good, but I, I kind of knew that I was going to throw myself in for a period of time and set some goals for myself. And if I didn't achieve what I wanted, then, then I was going to kind of set a little bit of a timeline. So 2014, which would have been my last year skiing, obviously an Olympic year, I had thrown myself into, into training, you know, with, with everything that I had. Um, and I just had it a terrible start to the season and a terrible nationals out in Soho. And I just wasn't skiing that well. And I kind of got a little, a little bummed because obviously, you know, everyone wants to, to achieve their, their goals in skiing. And it was like, the more that I committed myself to something, the, the more frustrating it was when I didn't, what I, when I, when I didn't perform the way that I knew I was perhaps capable of. Um, so midway through the season, I kind of just took some time to rediscover like my joy of ski racing and why I did it. And by the middle part of the season, I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to see this thing through. I'm going to figure out how I enjoy, enjoy the sport that I've spent a huge amount of my life doing. Um, but I'm ready to be done. There's obviously a job opening. Gus is leaving, going to grad school, and you get this job. Um, yep. It's kind of a big job in the sense that there's a lot of legacy there. There, It's also a time when there's like really high caliber athletes. So I'm assuming they have expectations. I'm also assuming that someone like a Jesse Diggins comes with you know, she has other coaches that can help support you and vice versa. But were you a little bit like, holy crap, I'm, I'm not saying you were underprepared at all because everyone's been very successful. But what was your perception like? Was there a big gulp at all? Like, I'm, I'm not sure I'm ready for that. Oh, for sure. I mean, God, I think uh, I can't remember. I can't remember if it was Alex who, who called me after I had got the job and kind of asked me some questions. And I was like, meh, you know. I'm like, I'll be the first to admit it. I, I am on paper relatively unqualified for this because I don't have that many. I have virtually no coaching credentials. Um, and there was certainly a time where I was like feeling like maybe, maybe, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have the experience or the skill set that I needed to do, to do the best I possibly could at the job. And then the more I thought about it and, and the more that I've been in this position, the more I realized, you know, Sverry went out on a limb for me and he took a chance in hiring me. Um, but what I realized that I could do in that position is kind of bring a little bit of a, a different take to things. Perhaps maybe that's more athlete, uh, an athlete style of coaching you know, having just finished up a ski career. So, so a lot of those memories were fresh in my head. And then at the end of the day, um, you have this, you have this incredible, you know, network of resources available to you between the personal coaches for many of the athletes on the ski team, Sferi, all of the coaches that I've had who have been mentoring me throughout the years. Um, and, and so, so yeah, I mean it was it was one of those things. It was fresh, it was exciting, um, it was it was exhilarating and terrifying all at the same time. And the more that I 
kind of the more time that I spent in that position, the more I realized like what you're trying to do is just provide consistency, provide support, provide guidance um, for for those athletes because ultimately they're the ones that are truly doing the hard work. Um, and and if you can just make yourself available to them and commit yourself to the athletes, just as I had committed myself as an athlete to my training, that um, that's the best you can do. And, and good things happen from that. Where do you feel like you've had the biggest amount of growth in terms of being a coach or being, I mean, I, I imagine when I say being a coach, there's a lot of other things like you're organizing a trip to New Zealand. You're, you know, clearly heading over to Zach Caldwell's house and helping manage lots of skis. Personally, where do you feel like you've had the biggest amount of personal growth professionally? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, for for me, there's there's obvious there's obviously those things that are visible, like you know, you have to you have to create these different exciting stimuluses for for your training you have to you have to be uh you have to be as educated as possible about you know the importance of equipment and waxing and all that sort of stuff but for me the area that i've seen the most growth is just understanding that 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 coaching like coaching is is about trying to create relationships with these athletes um figure out what makes them tick um, and, and provide them support and guidance. And so my role as, as head coach here at, at Stratton is it's, it's different for every athlete because every athlete has a different need from the program. They're at different stages of their development. We have obviously many athletes that are, um, you know, totally killing it on world cup and they're in, you know, the, the, the kind of sweet spot of their career where they're just kicking ass. Um, but we also have younger athletes coming through the program as well and their needs are totally different. Um, so, so what, what say Jesse or Sophie or Simi need for support, it looks very different than say, you know, our athletes coming through the program that are still working their way through college, like a Julia or a Catherine or a Ben Ogden for that matter. So it's just kind of understanding what you can do to be a facilitator and, and help those athletes um, as they're kind of, you know, at these different stages in their, in their ski careers. So I had written down here, Elena Sonnison's name here, as an example, so she skied it four years. I believe she was a four-year skier at UVM. Mm -hmm. I think she also ran track. Yep. And new to this team and that environment, what does you know? What is your approach with someone like that who's totally green? And I I should qualify that she's obviously skis at a very very high level. Um, but green in terms of now she's in a new training environment with a who's who right. of domestic and international skiing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And first year out of school, you know, this is, this is kind of, you know, the, that transition year where, where you've been in a program for four years, you've excelled there. Um, you've had, uh, incredible demands on you as a student and an athlete, and then suddenly transition into, into quote, full-time ski racing. Right. Um, 
so I think, you know, I, I had been in communication with, with Elena for, for a bit towards the end of the season and then really tried to take some time and sit down with her at spring series. And then in the period of time afterwards, cause she was, she was looking at all the different ski programs, someone like that, I think, um, you know, with all of our athletes that are new to the team, the big thing in my mind is trying to create a sense of space and place for them. Uh, knowing that they are, they are valuable members of the team and that the team should be like a family to them. It's, it's moving to a different location. Um, you know, now being done with school, there's all these stresses that go along with that, but not only are the coaches a resource for you, but the athletes on the team, they're the ones that, you know, are going to help you, help you figure out the area, you know, like have you over for dinner, like train with you, show you the locations, show you the ropes. Um, so we really rely on our, our sense of team as something that is a really, really strong um, facilitator to success. I mean, you know, we, we get better because we train together. Um, that, that really is kind of the, the, the simple secret to the program. <laughs> there's, there's nothing, there's nothing remarkable or, or crazy that we're doing with regards to the training. It's just like everyone, we try to put together a team that functions well together where every athlete, be it an Olympic gold medalist or someone who's an NCAA all American, they're always bringing something to every different workout. So they feel like they are, they, they, they're, they're making someone else better and they can also learn from, from everyone else to improve. Um, because we have a team full of incredible runners or a team full of people that have incredible pure speed or incredible endurance. Um, so it's not just, just top down, but everyone feeling like it's a collaborative process where they can get better. And, you know, is there, um, you know, when you talk about Elena specifically and, you know, who, you know, maybe, and I don't want to project onto her, but I'm just sort of like covering the sport. It's like, okay, we're at the start of an Olympic cycle. There's four years ahead of her where she tries to develop certain capacities. Um, where do you go for the resources about how to go about doing that? and helping her achieve whatever goals she has set forth for herself for like a one year plan stretched out to like a four year plan. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think the big thing, the big thing in my mind is anyone, anyone who's kind of making that jump from, uh, being a college skier to, to transitioning to full-time, full-time ski racing. Uh, it's, I look at it as, what are kind of the avenues and, and pathways that are available to you. So it's very helpful if you're an athlete, say, who finishes up college, has had a good college career, and you still have eligibility to compete at, say, U23 World Championships. So, so your focus is long-term, yes, I need to get faster, fitter, stronger, better technique, uh, all that sort of stuff. But I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to qualify for an Olympic team next year. I'm trying to kind of do the best that I can, hitting these these pathways and markers that are age appropriate. Um, so that starts with, 
you know, are really young athletes that still have a few years as being a junior and then going on to U23s. Then we're relying on the resources that the that U.S. Ski and Snowboard has in place with with these World Junior and U23 trips, as well as as well as sticking a, sticking around Europe, getting international experience afterwards for you know like a, a spring Europa Cup. So so what we're trying to do is we're trying to get athletes into these appropriate age appropriate events. Um, and and have them try to do the best they can there while still going and doing the races that they need to do to build experience domestically but what we're not trying to do is just go and have you know try to turn an athlete into someone who their only avenue or way to get to world cup is by being a super tour leader because that's that's a situation where only one athlete ultimately is the leader at any given time we're not trying to we're not trying to win at that game we're trying to make sure that they're just doing the best they can to move forward in their development and and kind of hit these um, hit the these championship events that are age appropriate for them to the best of their ability if that okay. kind of makes sense no it does actually that's a really that's a good point um, yeah how tricky that is especially when you have to be if you're qualifying through Super Tour, you have to be both sprinter and distance skier, and they take only one. Exactly. I mean, it's a it's a situation where one person walks away with it, and that's great, and that person deserves it because they're the one who is skiing the best. But they're also having to do the best they can, perhaps in events that aren't specific to them, um, versus saying, "Hey." That's not really the focus. Like World Cup, that'll happen when you're ready for it. You know, you ski fast, doors open. We're just trying to move you along that pathway and take advantage of the age-appropriate championships that are available to you and make you the best you can be at whatever your strength is. You know, so if you're a pure sprinter, yeah, we want to work on your general base fitness. We want you to be distance racing because you have to distance race to have a good platform for your sprinting but at the end of the day like the goal here is to figure out what you're good at throw yourself in to it with everything that you have and take advantage of the training partners you you have around you to to do that the best you possibly can do you feel like you have maybe in like uh, trying not to ask a loaded question here and how are you doing for time you are you okay for a little bit oh i got nothing but time okay all right, that could be dangerous. Um, <laughs> well, I got I got half of uh, iPhone battery left. Okay, that is. we're good. But you obviously had a great, you know, good college career. You were a top skier domestically. You skied a few World Cups. As everyone should have aspirations, right, and goals. Right. Not everyone meets their their goals. And do you feel like you have better insight? And that's the loaded part. Do you feel like you might have better insight into how to help an athlete navigate the inevitable disappointments in skiing rather than you know, it's like, oh, yeah, I went to five Olympics and was, you know, a World Cup skier for 10 years. And, uh, yeah, it was cruise control. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it does. I, you know, I, I don't – I wouldn't say that I necessarily have – more insight in kind of helping helping 
with those sort of decisions per se. Uh, I think I can only, you know, when I speak with athletes that are kind of navigating, navigating their ski careers, trying to decide, you know, am I going to keep with it or trying to get over a bad race or enjoying one that goes well and hitting their goals. You know, I, I can, I can relate it to my experiences as a ski racer. I can relate it to the things that I've seen with my peer group. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think ultimately it's, I bring it, I, I always bring it back to like, okay, you know, you have, you have this period of time in your life where you can only do it for so long. And, and I think that if it's something that is engaging to an athlete and it's what they want to do, they should do it. That makes sense. It's just a question of, it's just a question of at what point do you say, okay, I don't know if I'm going to get where I want to go in ski racing. And then it becomes tricky because you say at that point I could keep going, you know, it's, I, I'm, I'm improving, but ultimately am I going to get what I want out of it if I chase it for four years or eight years or 12 years after, after college? Um, it's tricky because skiing in the U S is a huge, huge sacrifice. You know, it's a financial sacrifice. It's something that dominates your life and it can bring a lot of good. Um, but it also does mean that you have to kind of back burner some of these other things. So it is, it is always tricky to figure out when, when you decide that you are, you, you want to keep going with it or you're ready to shift your focus and either be, be done with your competitive racing or approach it at a different level that still allows you to get um, job experience or a little more stability than being someone who's who's ski racing out of a duffel bag and on the road all winter. Um, what type of resources do you go to for like professional development outside of like the skiing world? And I'm thinking like maybe like what, what books do you have on your night table that are like Oh God, you know, you're, you're trying to figure out either problem solving or inspiration or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I, well, actually on my bedside table, which I haven't even really gotten through it. I'm saving it for, for the plane ride down to New Zealand is I have, uh, I think it's eat, sleep, run by Scott Jurek. Um, yeah. Haven't, haven't, haven't really gotten into that. Um, you know, I'm not the type of person that reads a whole bunch of books either about professional sport or that sort of stuff for their inspiration. I, I'm very privileged, you know, here at Stratton, we're, we're incredibly fortunate because, you know, Jason Cork is here all summer, uh, facilitating our training sessions. So functionally we, we have two coaches on the ground at every session. And uh, Matt Whitcomb has moved back east now and has come down a number of different times. Basically, anytime I have a question, you know, for those guys or ask what they want to see out of a workout or bounce ideas off of them, I just go straight. I just go straight to those guys. Um, and, and they've kind of been instrumental in giving me the flexibility to structure sessions uh, the way that I, that I want uh, based on the opportunities for training we have. Um, but then also be there for, for kind of, for guidance, uh, and mentorship when, when, whenever I have questions on that sort of stuff. Okay. So you're pretty lucky. Those are like two obviously very qualified resources. Well, and I mean, the reality is, you know, we have, we have 
those two coaches are coaching four of our athletes on the team. Right. Right. So, so ultimately I want to be as collaborative as I possibly can. We don't need to be, we don't need to, to operate in a vacuum. You know, it's easier for me to go and, and bounce ideas off those guys. Um, so that, so that the athletes are getting consistency versus me have some sort of top down approach where I think that it should be done one way. Um, and that kind of runs, runs in con in conflict with ultimately what those guys are trying to achieve because, because the reality is the best thing that I can do is provide consistency in training and, and high level training for the A and B team athletes, make sure that they're in a great place, getting better at the things they need to get better at and they get on a plane in november happy healthy and fast and ready to go and and that's kind of you know the the best that's 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 you know the the most supportive role that i can play okay so um i'm curious if there was a moment i and i'm assuming that you do you're involved with waxing skis at like nationals and big heavy duty races. Is that correct? Yeah. So, I mean, any, any, you ask any sort of club coach, like a club coach wears many different hats, you know, they're the ones in charge of writing the training plans. They're the ones in charge of putting the logistics for the trips together and driving the van, uh, getting groceries and preparing meals. Um, and they're also the ones that are there with, with ski fleet management, waxing, that sort of stuff. So we, we kind of have to be skilled at all of those sort of things. Um, so yeah, in, in years past, I've kind of done things more on my own. I've also collaborated with, with other programs so that we're just kind of working together. Uh, we've also had people come in and help out at the major championship you know, national super tour finals, that sort of stuff when our numbers are a little bit bigger. And, uh, you know, in, uh, I went to world junior U23s in Soho as the junior coach and also probably skied about, I don't know, like 25 K a day with Josh Mullen doing glide outs. And, you know, so it's like you wear all these different hats. Um, and that's kind of the fun things about it is, there's nothing, uh, it's always, it's always, it's always a fresh challenge, right? Uh, who would you trust to wax your pair of skis from, from your own skiers? Who would you trust? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I, you know, I would trust most all of them. Oh, come on. Um, <laughs> uh, this might sound terrible to say but i might trust some of the non-world cup skiers a little bit more just because they have to have more more uh more ownership of things they don't necessarily have a designated uh they don't have a designated tech all the time sure. um that being said i just try to impress upon them the most important thing is that your sidewalls are always clean Yep. and you never use a swirling motion of the iron. So <laughs> as long as they're not burning the bases, I don't, you know, they're, they all are going to be very, very careful with their skis. Okay. Um, a couple of softballs here. Have you ever beaten Simi at anything? Oh boy. That's a great question. Oh, has anybody beaten Simi at anything? 
Well, the, I, some dude just did beat him in the race, in a running race, but I mean, still. Yeah. Oh, boy, I'm trying to think. Okay, yes, no, I have an answer for that one. Yes, I have beaten Simi. Um, I might have to go all the way back to uh, a college race. Uh, I believe it might have been his... It might have been his sophomore year and my freshman year. I distinctly remember beating him. Yep. So I have to go way back. Uh, also, I try to right. I try to make him hurt on a mountain bike every once in a while. He kind of fakes like he's having a hard time just to make me feel a little better. But uh, you know, at this point, it would have to be it would have to be you know just mountain biking would be the only thing I could possibly uh, keep up with gotcha. him. In. And does can you beat Ida at anything? And I'm just making the assumption that like competitive people have, you know, competitive doesn't just win, you know, competitiveness doesn't just win. Right. No, no, it, no, it doesn't actually. That's, that might be an easier softball question because, um, I actually found myself in a pickle last year. We did this running race in Bozeman and I was sure that I was not going to be able to beat her. And so the only solution that I had was just go out as hard as I possibly could and um i think i i think i might have given myself like rhabdomyolysis from running the downhill so hard because i was just bleeding time on the uphill um so yeah that would be like the one one that i actually can kind of point to i definitely put the hurt on her one day at a uh, bend camp in a classic speed you know, like they had done speed stations and really, I think, uh, yeah, they were like, uh, six, six speeds in. And I like jumped in super fresh on the last one. I just had to see. You still got it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was pretty winded. I'm after sure. That, you know? I'm sure people say bachelor's not that high, but for a C level kid, it's pretty high. Yeah. It's, I forget. It's like six or something. I don't know. It, the air is, the air is thin. Up yeah. There, yeah. I, I, it's uh, yes, I agree. Um, Okay. Anything else? Any words of wisdoms that you would bestow to someone who might consider coaching? Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately we as skiers, the collective ski community, you know, we have this common passion that kind of unites us all. Like whether you're an Olympic gold medalist or a master skier or a junior who is also playing soccer and is a multi-sport athlete who's just kind of, you know, trying to do the best they can at high school events. You know, skiing is something that can, can provide structure and passion. Um, so if you're the type of person that is considering a career in coaching, like it should, you should just view it as an extension of that passion. You know, you don't have to necessarily be the best skier in the world or hit every um, outcome goal that you have. But if you approach your work with the, you know, coaching that is, with the same drive and passion, um, no matter your experience level, um, you know, you may, you may stumble a little bit on the way. Like you may have setbacks or you may learn a lesson the hard way, but, but you're going to learn and grow. Um, and, and all you can do is the best you can and, and give it your all. And the athletes know that, you know, they, you may make a bonehead wax call or guess wrong on someone's training or peaking and totally fry them. Um, that's okay. That's okay. 
as long as you learn from that and you don't repeat that. Um, and you grow as a coach and the athlete grows from the experience. So I would say, you know, it's something that, um, anyone who, anyone who has knows that they still have great passion for the sport. Like you can contribute in many, many different ways. And, and it, it may be coaching at an elite level. It may be coaching youngsters, you know, getting them out into a parking lot and getting them out on roller skis, feeling safe and comfortable or doing, doing a clinic with masters who want to, you know, like get better in skate skiing. Um, it, it's, it's, there's so many different levels to participate in, in the sport. And that's really what's exciting to me. Um, you know, it's, there's, it's always a different and, and unique challenge. It, it's, it's a balancing act. It's you, you feel a little bit like, um, someone, someone juggling balls and that's part of the excitement and challenge of it. Well, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for listening to Nordic Nation.